the show goes on. This is the official show on the Fish Stripes podcast channel with me, Eli Sussman, the managing editor of Fish Stripes, where we cover your Miami Marlins every day in our own way. And that everyday coverage has continued in recent weeks, despite the lack of official show episodes. Glad to be back on the mic. It's just been a period where it's been a struggle to find unique angles, anything that was not redundant. I don't want you guys to come here and hear the same old stuff, especially when it's as bleak as things have been recently for this Marlins team. And we've had you covered on our live streams before every single Marlins series. You can find those on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook, Fish Stripes Live. Our other podcast shows on this channel, of course, Big Fish, Small Pod, Fish Stripes Unfiltered, what a relief, those interviews with Marlins relievers. You can find those wherever you're listening to this pod right now. And our full coverage on the website, fishstripes.com. Go to fishstripes.com. There have been games happening. That's the beauty of the baseball season. Always games happening. But it felt like just the same thing over and over and over again with the team's offensive limitations, with the same exact players in the same position positions and most of them not succeeding unfortunately but this past weekend was an interesting one so I felt for sure there was enough material to go through this time from the recent series against the Mets at Lone Depot Park you'll get my observations from that the big breaking news that really wasn't surprise to and many of us covering this team is Jazz Chisholm Jr. officially being ruled out for the rest of the 2022 season we haven't seen him on the field since July and this team has not been the same at all since he's been gone during his absence with a stress fracture in his back. Given the news, I felt this was a great opportunity to look back and appreciate what he gave this team in just 60 amazing games and where he still stands with this team moving forward. You know, coverage of this team, the fan experience without him, it's been night and day. And I think we could all use a refresher, myself included, as to what he did, what he showed when he was healthy this year, and why that is for sure a bright spot of the Marlins moving into 2023. On the other side of the break, we'll go through this past weekend from the Marlins, and then, of course, jazz appreciation, including some of his very best and most distinctive plays from this year. Stick with us. Friday in Miami between the Mets and the Marlins, the first game of the series. A rare wire-to-wire win for this Marlins team to open this series. A 6-3 final score, and it got started with the hottest bat on the team. One of the few hot bats, really, on this entire team. Garrett Cooper on the night went 3-for-3 with a walk, including the go-ahead home run in the very first inning. That put the Marlins ahead, a lead they would not relinquish. And now sends this one out towards center field, pretty well hit, backing up is Nimmo, looking up, and that one is gone! Welcome home, Garrett Cooper! I had an article go up on Fish Stripes last week about Cooper's extensive slump. It was only a matter of time, I felt, until he made the proper mental and physical adjustments, approach adjustments, and he has definitely done that almost immediately after that article came out. This was his biggest individual game yet in the series for the Marlins. Some other notes from this win for the team. Edward Cabrera, pretty solid five and two-thirds innings. This was the best pitching performance for the Marlins in this series, and that's not saying very much given what happened 
next couple days, but he continues to be fine, even against some great competition. His ERA from the season actually goes up to 2.63 for Edward Cabrera. The big hero on the pitching side, though, would have to be Steven Oker. He came in in the seventh inning in a big jam, taking over for Tanner Scott, and he faced five batters in the seventh and eighth innings, retired all five of them, including inheriting some runners and taking what would have been facing the game was on the line in that situation and he came through very quietly with Oakert. He has continued to be great late this season. He continues to overperform his peripherals in a lot of situations. Overall just a really good season for him. No doubt he has been an overachiever to not just sustain but actually take a small step forward from where he was in 2021. Charles LeBlanc with a insurance home run in the bottom of the eighth inning. That was his third since being called up. He continues to look like he belongs at the big league level, despite lack of prospect pedigree for this team. And the Marlins, at that point, they actually put together a rare winning streak. That was their second straight win coming off the end of that Phillies series as well. Heading into Saturday, broke out the Sugar Kings uniforms for the eighth time this year. For the sixth time this year, they lost in those Sugar Kings uniforms 11 to 3 the final score with the Mets bouncing back in a big way Pablo Lopez man this is he's created an easy situation for second guessing the Marlins front office given how popular he was at the trade deadline how close they came potentially to finding a deal for him and selling high on him since the trade deadline he has not been good and in particular for his career especially this season him against the Mets has been a disaster. He is a lifetime 6.53 ERA versus the Mets now in 10 career starts. And this season in particular, it's a double digit earned run average when he faces against New York. An eight run inning for the Mets in the fourth here. I imagine that is the largest single inning output for an offense in a Marlins game this year, either for the Marlins themselves or for an opponent. Most of those charged to Pablo, his final line, eight earned runs in three and two-thirds innings with more walks than strikeouts and 10 hits allowed. Andrew Nardi didn't do him any favors out of the pen, and Nardi continues to have a really rough transition to the majors as a rookie to this point in his young career since being called up last month on Saturday. Where else did we go in this one? Avisel Garcia aggravated his hamstring injury. He very recently just came back from the IL with a hammy issue. The hope was that he would finish this year on a high note and give them some light shred of confidence moving forward in his abilities. And now that is all up in the air after aggravating the injury, not determined yet how long that could potentially keep him out of action for the Marlins down the stretch. It just means more playing time for the young guys. And to this point, unfortunately, those young outfielders just not really taking a whole lot of advantage of that playing time that they're receiving. So the rubber game on Sunday, the one that overlapped with the Dolphins week one game. So you know there was not a whole lot of people paying attention to this one, even myself included. I was in and out, especially after the Mets went up early. A three-run go-ahead home run from Brandon Nimmo against Jesus Lazardo, and the Mets would just add on from here. It never really Seems like it would be a close contest between these teams. Taiwan Walker for the Mets. He's faced the Marlins a bunch of times this year. I think this was the fifth one. And all five of them have been pretty solid starts, especially here on Sunday. This may have been his best uh, overall against the Marlins this year. 
it was a pretty easy 9-3 win for New York. 10 strikeouts for Taiwan Walker. No walks or hit by pitches. Whereas Lazardo, this was an interesting stat that I had not realized. This was the first time all year that Lazardo had hit a batter with a pitch. Given he's somebody that has had control issues in the past, that was surprising to learn. Two hit by pitches, one wild pitch, three walks, five earned runs, and only three in the third innings. 91 pitches. 91 in three in the third innings for Luzardo. Uh, an unfortunate hiccup given his recent string of strong performances. It's just a reminder that although his improvement this year has been very evident, there are still inconsistencies. Occasional inconsistencies like this. It's a pretty good lineup, but not one that had necessarily been firing on all cylinders entering this series. Uh, he got a facing in, in his major league debut, one of the best prospects, Mark Vientos was in there. A slumping Darren Roof was in there, Darren Ruff, and he went hitless in this one. Like there were some landing spots in this lineup and Lizardo couldn't take advantage of him. So it was mostly a bullpen game for the Marlins. Every single reliever got into some trouble in this one, allowing several hits or base runners. And it allowed the Mets to cruise to a pretty easy win in the series finale. Offensively for the Marlins, the only bright spot being Brian Anderson, a multi-home run game, his third of his Marlins career, uh, including one that was deep to straightaway dead center field for Brian Anderson, so that raises his home run total for the year up to eight. On the prospect side, this was the final week of the season, the final games of the season for the low-A Jupiter affiliate and high-A Beloit, so congrats to those teams on successful seasons on the field and promotionally as well. I think I saw something that Beloit had set a new home attendance record for a single season. Congrats to them. My fish prospect of the week on the pitching side, right-hander Marcus Johnson. Very early in his career after being drafted just this past summer, he strikes out 10 batters in five innings. He was in relief of Yuri Perez making his return from the IL. So Johnson in a very unconventional role, getting stretched out as a starter, but doing it technically in relief. That was impressive to see with him on his first outings since moving up to the full season level, ending his regular season on a strong note. Offensively, hitter of the week is going to be Will Banfield with double-A Pensacola. Banfield went six for 16 with two home runs, some of those starts behind the plate, others as the DH. That's been going under the radar with Banfield is for so much of his minor league career. It's just there has not been nearly enough offense to take him seriously. The timing of his promotion to double A earlier this summer was a little weird, and he has kind of justified it. He has hit significantly better with the Blue Wahoos than he did earlier this year with the Sky Carp. OPS now over 700. For the season, making a lot more contact, balls in play, his strikeout rate is in the teens, so significantly better than league average. That's a fascinating development for the 2020, the 22-year-old catcher. In an honorable mention, not a prospect, but certainly minor leaguer, former top prospect of the Marlins, Jesus Sanchez. He's with Triple A Jacksonville, and this past week, nine for 22 with four walks for him. He got off to an ugly start since got demoted to Jacksonville, and this was by far his best week of performance since then. So he's getting close to being a league average hitter overall now during his stints in the minors. And there's still several more weeks of the Jacksonville season for him to 
maintain this and give the team hope heading into 2023. We know how talented he is. It's all about the approach. It's all about the confidence that he goes in and out with Sanchez. So a great week for him with Jacksonville, even if we don't see him back up in the big leagues before the end of the year. This was somebody that just a few months ago was considered immensely important to the presence and the future of the Marlins. And it's don't rule it out him getting back to being a very potent offensive player. Speaking of potent players with many years of club control remaining, Jazz Chisholm Jr. Heading into the All-Star game, you know, he was holding out hope until the very last minute that he could play in the All-Star game. That was two full months ago with Jazz when he was out with a back injury. The nagging injuries weren't anything new. He dealt with several of them in 2021, dealt with several more even before this IL stint. And this team, they just decided kind of understandably to take it as cautiously as possible once they discovered the stress fracture in his back. The timeline, I mean, based on everything going on, all indications, even by Don Mattingly's omission, like there was a circumstance where he could have come back onto the field and contributed to them, at least hitting-wise, at the end of the season, if they really needed him to. But understanding where they are in the standings, 25 games under 500, a losing record already clinched, the future that Jazz still has with this team under club control for four more years at least beyond the 2022 season and how much potential he has, they're just not going to risk it and they shouldn't. So that playing time going to others who could really need to prove themselves, Jazz being really the one super young guy on this team that has established himself as an impact player. If he's going to be healthy, that is the question. That's really the only question at this point. If he's healthy, he's going to be an impact everyday player for this Marlins team moving forward. Why is that? And it's because he was absolutely electric during the first half of the season when he was healthy. He's been gone for so long. You probably have the stats already memorized from all-star voting and from how often we've looked at them and the fact that the stats have not changed since he went out for good in late June 254 hitter, 325 on base, 535 slugging, and 860 OPS for Jazz. 14 home runs is still the second highest total on this entire team. 14 home runs in 60 games, 12 steals. He was well on pace. He was just a significant step forward from where he was in 2021. That's what you love to see. Putting the ball in play more often. A big development was pulling the ball and getting the most out of the power that he has by changing that approach, and it was successful. It was such a successful season for Jazz. We're going to get into the stats a little bit more in just a few minutes, but first I wanted to just celebrate what he did, and it's more than just the numbers, you know. It is the highlights. Sticking just with on-field moments, I picked out eight of them that stood out to me for different reasons that exemplified the season that Jazz was having before being interrupted by injury. I put them not in a ranking order, but in chronological order. I have my top eight on-field moments from Jazz's 2022 regular season. And we're going to just replay the highlights for you one at a time so that we can take you back to that place with Jazz as the engine of the Marlins' offense and defense early on this 2022 season. Opening day, he got started immediately. A go-ahead Ninth ending home run off of Camilo Duval of the Giants. This was on April 8th. 
one of the only opposite field home runs of his MLB career. He could not have chosen a better situation to do it in. Two and one, runner goes. Jazz swings, sends one in the air, left field, hit deep, carrying, gone! A home run for Jazz Chisholm, and the Marlins come back and take the lead in the ninth. Later in that same series on opening weekend, April 10th, the full extension leaping catch. Jazz took a step forward defensively this year compared to last year. This is an example of what he's capable of leaving the ground, his reaction time, his catch radius. This was mesmerizing to see, and it's still seared into my mind as we get towards the end of the season. Jazz diving and makes the play. That one ticketed for right field. A diving gem there by Jazz Chisholm Jr. April 21st with the Marlins at home against the Cardinals. The Marlins are already leading in this game. Jazz at the plate and having a bit of an exchange with home plate umpire Phil Cuzzy. Phil Cuzzy saying, let's go. I'll tell you what, if you're Jazz, if it's close, you better hack here. He reminds him, Phil Cuzzy, why exactly he, he can be as patient as he wants to be because the end result of his plate appearances can be electric. So Jazz responds with a no doubt home run to extend the Marlins lead over the Cardinals. 0-2. Jazz is aggressive. Yeah, he is. That one's hit deep to right field. Carlson going back. Take that. Two-run home run. Jazz Chisholm Jr. This was Phil Cuzzy before. Watch him get in the box. Yeah, clap. get in the box. He's saying, let's go. And look at Yachty. Yachty's like, you got the sign. Let's Yachty's go. Saying, let's come go. On. Yeah. <laughs> come on. Come on. My fourth moment that I wanted to highlight, May 11th, with the Marlins finishing up a road trip 
against the Diamondbacks. This was a really rough time of year with the team having lost nine of the previous 10 games. They were trailing the D-backs for a portion of this game as well in Jazz. At this moment, the Marlins had retaken the lead in the ninth inning, but in order to feel completely comfortable with where they're at, they needed some insurance, and Jazz, Jazz delivered a three-run shot to essentially put the game away against his former team. The D-backs signed him, developed him, traded him away a few years ago. Jazz gets his payback with this long ball. Would love to add on another run right here. And they might. Jazz out toward left center, and it's gone! A three-run home run for Jazz on a line drive to left center field. May 21st, Marlins against Braves in Miami. Marlins trailing in the bottom of the ninth inning. Things, you know, continuing to spiral in the wrong direction for the team. And Jazz very obviously dealing with some physical discomfort in this one. You could tell lower leg issue going on. Facing Kenley Jansen, I believe, and he's kind of hobbling through this plate appearance. Uh, something clearly wrong. I remember at the time being angry that the team didn't take him out of the game at that moment to protect him. He stays in to complete the plate appearance. He hits a soft ground ball to the right side, one that would be a routine out for, what, 90% of big league players? And yet somehow he reaches deep within himself through his discomfort, and runs as fast as ever down the line to beat out an infield single to keep the game alive for the Marlins, giving everything he had to help this Marlins team stay competitive. And a bouncer, right side, tough play, shovel, and the knee's just fine for him to get down the line, but he used every little bit of what was left in that knee to get down the line. On June 7th, the first career Grand Slam for Jazz Chisholm Jr. I thought I had this mem- remembered vividly in my head, but what I didn't realize was that it came on a 3-0 pitch, and it came on a pitch that was even outside the zone on 3-0. So bases loaded, 3-0 count. He gets a ball that's kind of tailing away from him. It starts on the outer corner, and then it finishes probably six inches outside, and Jazz swings anyway, clobbers it to straightaway center field. That's Jazz. Gets into one out towards center. Way back there. Way back. And it's gone. A grand slam for Jazz. One other Jazz home run I wanted to highlight here from June 10th, just a few days later, at the Houston Astros. On paper, this looks like a big mismatch, and the Marlins ended up winning the series. Jazz set the tone by taking this super high pitch from Luis Garcia. It was over four feet off the ground, I think and hitting a leadoff home run against the Astros, really making a statement about you can't get a high fastball past Jazz. 0-2 pitch. Jazz goes up, gets that one, sends it deep to right center field, and that's into the Marlins' bullpen, a solo home run to start the night. (laughs) Jazz driving that bus. He has been on fire. And finally, the eighth on-field moment from Jazz this year that I wanted to zero in on going back to his defense the fact that he emerged as a very talented and valuable defender for the marlins at second base this year you probably don't remember this particular play at all it was from the tanner scott game the one in philly that they end up losing on a walk-off three-run home run for most of the game the marlins were shutting out the fills and this was in the later innings with just a one nothing lead an attempted base dealer tries to get to second on jazz 
and he takes this really difficult hop on the throw from the catcher, and he simultaneously grabs it, lays down the tag, and also blocks the base with his leg, having the presence of mind to do that as well. So even though the runner kind of gets to the base before he's able to arrange the tag, the fact that he did everything right on that play to be able to pull it in, lay it down as quickly as possible, and while also getting in front of the base, that just shows you know how fundamentally sound he really is. Runner goes, pitch is taken low, throw to second base on one hop. He is out at oh, second wow. base. He must have come off. That or he must not have gotten to the bag. Either way, and there's no argument from Verling. Going back to the Jazz stats for 2022, this got a lot of attention over the weekend when I pointed out that Jazz still leads all Marlins players with 39 runs scored this season. For somebody that has played less than half of the team's games to this point in the season, and by the end of the year will have played less than 40% of their games, for him to still have more runs scored than everybody else, it speaks a lot to his ability. Um, perhaps even more so, it's an indictment of the surrounding talents around him. So 39 runs scored in just those 60 games that he played. Uh, it looks like by the end of the year, maybe John Birdie will pass him. And um, But that's about it. That's about it. Really, the drop-off for both him and for the team's offense has been really more severe than anybody could have feared to this point. He still leads all Marlins players with two and a half wins above replacement. Whether you go by fan graphs or baseball reference, they are almost perfectly in sync on Jazz's value in that limited time. I pointed out that I think him, uh, Giancarlo Stanton, Starling Marte, it's a very short list of guys that were about this much value while playing so few games for the team. He was that type of all-round player that contributes in all those various ways with his bat, with his base running, with his defense. The Marlins went 27-33 and 33 in games that Jazz played. That's a 450 winning percentage, only six games below 500. When he doesn't play, this is entering Monday's doubleheader against the Rangers, not including those games. 30-49 and 49 without Jazz. That's a 380 winning percentage on pace for 100 losses. This is a 100-loss team without Jazz, which, again, is both a reflection on his ability but also the shortcomings of his teammates. There was just no reason to believe that this Marlins team would not improve from where they were in 2021, given what they invested in order to improve the team, uh, particularly offensively, also defensively. Guys like Stallings and Wendell, they did make some marginal improvements to the bullpen going outside the organization. And beyond that, they just retained a lot of the talent that they had the previous year. You know, the hope was... The very reasonable expectation is that with these acquisitions and with some considerable improvement from their young guys internally, that this team as a whole would take a noticeable step forward this year. It's never about making the playoffs. Honestly, even making 500 was a pretty big stretch. But for this team to be in this position where they are almost identically on the same track as last year without Jazz coming back, it's on the table that they can finish even worse than last year's 67-95 and 95 record. And that is despite Jazz himself being one of those few players that did live up to his expectations. Somebody that did take a noticeable step forward in several important categories in ways that look pretty sustainable moving forward. He just has not had many other guys in that same category with him. Jazz is a bright spot. 
Jazz's uh, success story of the season. During the second half of the season where there's been so little positives to cheer about, you, know, you have to wonder how much differently they, the performance of the team would be on the field and how much the vibe of this fan base would be at this time if Jazz was on the field and just available. If he was just there every single day, that would make a big difference. Down the stretch, he is going to be spending time with this Marlins team. Uh, he's going to be hanging around the team, even under the understanding that he won't be playing again this year. I think that's a positive for everybody involved, just to have him there, just to have him soaking it up and being a part of this team, even when he can't actually contribute on the field at this very moment. We had a small conversation in our Fish Stripes group chat over the weekends about him and the potential of a contract extension. This being kind of a unique window that they have now where he has shown so much ability, but hasn't been able to, during the second half of the season, been able to validate himself as like a no-doubt superstar player. So in a way, uh, things have gone well for him this year, and it's been good for the team, but being without him to this point and the questions surrounding his durability, that somewhat takes away leverage from him. And also, you would think would make him more open to having some security in case of another injury that pops out of nowhere and keeps him off the field. The last two seasons combined is two fullish seasons in the big leagues. It's a total of 184 games out of a possible 324, so that's less than 60% of the total Marlins games he's been available to play in. Some of that selectively due to benching against lefties, but most of that due to injury. So because of that, that um, puts him in a fascinating situation where I think there is still common ground that could be found between these teams, the team, well, these parties, both the team and Jazz and his representatives on a deal. So it's four more years of club control beyond this year. Would they explore a deal that adds additional years to that and in exchange for type of value that keeps him below what he would probably earn as a free agent? him sacrificing a little bit of that upside financially, but of course getting a whole lot of, getting a lifetime of security. This will be a major topic to explore this offseason, no doubt about it. The potential to work out something long-term with him, to instill some confidence in the fan base that he's going to be around, in that he is a building block for this team moving forward. Something to keep him happy, something to keep him in the right mindset and put him in a position where he feels that he should be validating that investment that they make in him. I think it can make sense all the way around. Uh, still some time to hammer through the specifics about what that could look like. You know, it would probably have to be a bigger guarantee than what they gave Sandy. So I wonder how that would play, of course, given that given that context between those two and the way that they're viewed within the organization. But I look forward to exploring that and other topics as I said, I've been watching every single game down the stretch, even if I haven't been doing these solo pods. You can hear my thoughts a couple times a week, every week, on the Fish Stripes Live series preview shows that we continue to do. But I'll be, I'll be doing these official show episodes more regularly in September and October as well. We'll, we'll be doing some, as soon as the regular season ends, we have some other ambitious ideas for a special series and you know mini-series within the show that you guys would find interesting as we look forward to the future of this organization. It's going to get better. I don't think it could get much worse than it has been during the second half 
of this season. But if you're still listening to us, if you're still following the team closely and still sharing your thoughts about it, it with us, then we're immensely grateful for that. Rate and review the podcast wherever applicable. Encourage others to listen to it as well here on the Fish Stripes podcast channel. I've been Eli Sussman. Thanks for the support and go fish.